Wonderful. All right. Uh, how many of you got your Bible? Anybody? Everybody? I hope you do. Would you join me, if you will, in the book of Galatians tonight, chapter number 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, page number 1247. If you have an old Schofield Bible, I'd like to read a couple of verses here in just a moment and ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along. And while you're finding your place there, our buses today uh, did a good job. On a kind of a dreary Sunday morning, we had 262 riders on our church buses today. And that was a real blessing. Of course, we've been limiting what our buses can bring in. But the, as we further move further and further along, we're actually lifting those restraints now. We're doing that safely. And people are, you know, we're very careful about... Uh, taking care of folks who ride the church buses over here. But I thought 262 riders on our church buses this morning. And best of all, we had 12 people that were saved on the other side of the building. And that is a real, a real blessing. Uh, the Murray Road route was the top route today. They had 40. The King Rural Hall route had 37. The Pofftown route had 34. And I'll just say this. Everybody else did a great job of bringing people to church today. And we sure are grateful for all of those who work in the bus ministry and thank the Lord for our drivers drivers and the good job that they did. And then, of course, it takes a whole lot of people to take care of the crowd. Uh, you know, we try to feed everybody a hot meal going home and take care of all of those situations. And I appreciate all the work that goes into that uh, as well. And Brother David announced yesterday morning that we're going to be starting a, a, a drive in the month of March. And uh, so we're looking forward to our bus numbers shooting back up again as we prepare to move toward opening Sunday school back up again real soon. So hope you'll pray about all that. Let's pray God will keep his hand of protection upon our church. And uh, boy, God's blessed us, allowed us to stay in church since last July. And I'm grateful for that and appreciate God's hand upon our church. Even though we've had folks that occasionally get sick, we haven't had, to God be the glory, a major outbreak uh, where we've had to shut back down again. And I say all that to God be the glory. And God sure has been good to us. And we want to do all of this responsibly. We want to do it safely. But uh, man, we we just want to get back to the way things used to be. And uh, so we're making plans to move toward all that in the coming days. Let's read tonight Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse number 23. And here's what the Bible said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, get against such there is no law. Leave your Bibles open there for just a moment. Let's look at this list. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. And God, thank you for blessing us. I'm glad you have passed by, passed by my way one day. And God, I'm saved tonight on my way to heaven. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I sure am glad that I'm not like I used to be. Thank you for changing my life and letting me be a part of your family. And I pray now as a child of God, I want to yield myself to you, surrender to you, and I pray that you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I give myself to you. I pray this week you'd help me to live my life in verse 22 and verse 23. Lord, may those characteristics, may that fruit be a part of my life, I pray this week in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you've been with us recently in our Sunday evening services, then you may recall that we right now are in a series of messages that I've entitled Fruitful Living. Fruit 
full. And by the way, the emphasis is on the word full. And the point that I've been trying to make over these Sunday nights is the fact that God wants you and I to bear fruit as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord said this one time in John 15, in verse number 16, Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've ordained you, I've, I've appointed you that you, you should go and bring forth fruit. So we understand from that one verse that God saved us for one reason and one reason only, and that was just not to keep us out of hell, but God saved us that we might bring forth fruit here upon this earth. But not just fruit, because Jesus went on to say in another verse in that same chapter, I want you to bring forth more fruit, not just fruit, but more fruit. But it didn't even stop there because in another verse a little bit later, Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth. Then there's this phrase, much fruit. So it's God's plan, God's will for those of us that are saved to have fruit, more fruit and much fruit in our lives. Now, I told you, really, that's a picture of the new convert because when we come into God's family, you know, there's fruit there. I mean, we're not like we used to be because we've been saved, changed by the good grace of God. Salvation not only makes a difference in how you die, praise the Lord, it'll make a difference in the way you live. And there'll be some fruit in your life. Then as you grow, as you begin to grow in the things of God, then that fruit turns into more fruit. And you begin to get an understanding of God's Word. And boy, you begin to produce more fruit. And then as you mature and grow in the Christian life, there should be much fruit in the life of every believer. Now, the sad but tragic thing about all that is, is many times that works in reverse. You know, when you first get saved, there's much fruit. And then we kind of cool off a little bit, and then there's just more fruit. And then we cool off a little bit more, and then there's fruit. And then finally, we just get plum cold, and there's no fruit in the Christian life. But God's plan and God's will for you and I is for us to bring forth fruit. You know, there are many, many analogies in the Bible that God uses to depict or describe what his people are supposed to do in this walk of life. You know, in the Bible, we're said to be sheep and we're said to be soldiers and sons and servants. But another one of the analogies that God uses in the Bible to describe his people is that of a tree. Back in Psalms chapter 1, verse 3, remember this? verse, he shall be like a tree uh, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In other words, God, when he looks at your life, looks at my life, God wants to see fruit. Now, maybe I ought to stop and say good fruit, not corrupt fruit. Cor corrupt fruit. Can I have an amen? amen? Something that really scares me. It's this verse right here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 says this, You shall know them by their fruits. You know, the problem that we see so much in this last day's brand of Christianity is people who say there are, they're, they're the child of God, and yet the fruit that's hanging off the limbs of their life says anything but. I mean, man, they say, yeah, I know God, I'm a child of God, and yet the fruit that you see in their life doesn't depict the fact that they are a child of God. You see, fruit reflects the character of the tree that produces it. Can I stop and say that one more time? Fruit reflects the character of the tree that produces it. That is, when you haven't seen somebody and they got cor corrupt fruit hanging off the uh, limbs of their life, can I tell you something? That says something about their character. 
That says something about the character of the person that's producing that corrupt fruit. But when you see good fruit hanging off the lives of somebody, then that, that also tells us that their character must be right. God desires fruit, good fruit in our lives. And so God has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit moved into our life when we got saved. And the one reason that he's there is to produce his fruit within us. Now I get it. In our day, it seems like people are more fascinated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit than they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? I mean, you watch churches on TV. You know, these preachers on TV. And man, it's all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can I stop and say that I too believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I, I'd be denying the teaching of the Scripture if I said there was no such thing as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now I do believe that some of those gifts have ceased with the completion of the Bible. I believe some of those gifts are no longer in use in this day of grace in which you and I are living in, but I do need to say the gifts of the Spirit are real. But can I stop and say this? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are no indication of how spiritual somebody might be. Can I stop and say that one more time? Just because they have this gift or that gift, that does not mean that they're more spiritual than somebody else. If spiritual gifts are an indication of spirituality, then why in the world is one of the most gifted churches in the Bible one of the most carnal churches in the Bible? I'm talking about the church of Corinth. Paul said this about the church of Corinth over in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7. He said, you don't come behind in any gift. Can I put that in Forsyth County translation? They're second to nobody when it comes to spiritual gifts. But can I tell you that was the most carnal crowd in all of the Bible. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table, suing one another, shacking up, living together without the benefit of marriage, putting all kinds of garbage on social media. I mean, man, <laughs> yeah, man, preacher. Man, you talk about a carnal, wicked crowd. They were a carnal crowd, but they were one of the most gifted churches in the Bible. I'm telling you again that spiritual gifts are not a sign of spirituality. If you want to know how spiritual somebody is, don't examine their gift, inspect their fruit. If you want to know how spiritual somebody is, don't look at their gift, look at their fruit. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants to produce within us spiritual fruit. Now I told you last week, if you'll look at verse 22 and 23, what we have here is a picture of Jesus. I mean, because everything that we read, these, these nine characteristics in verse 22 that we read, all that is is a picture of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was love and joy and peace. I mean, he was all of those things rolled in to one person. The Holy Spirit wants to produce now that kind of living in your life and in my life. Can I stop and say one more time before I even get into this tonight? I don't want to live in verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. I don't want to live. Look at those verses. I don't want to live in this, this, this mess. I mean, how many people live their life is found, if you were to define what their life is, you, you would define it by reading verse 19, 20, and 21. Can I have an amen? I don't know about you. I think I know about you. I don't want my life to be in that kind of a mess. 
You talk about a mess. And many people's lives are all messed up. You know why? They're following after the flesh. The fiascos of the flesh. I don't want to live like that. I'm too old. I'm 58 years old. I'm too old to live that mess in verse 19, 20, and 21. Somebody called me the other week and was talking about a situation going on in their life. And I just called their name. And I said, man, because me and this person is about the same age. And I said, look, man, at our age, I don't want to live my life with that kind of mess going on. And I, I, you know something? I don't want to live in all that mess in verse 19, 20, 21. Hey, God willing and by the help and grace of the Holy Spirit, I want to live in verse 22 and I want to live in verse 23. But if I'm going to do that, the key to that is not trying to do it. The key to that is not fighting to do it. The key to that is surrendering to do it surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Remember last week I told you this, the key to winning the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is not fighting, but surrendering. If we're going to be victorious, how many of y'all fight battles every day? I do. You fight the world, don't you? You fight the flesh. You fight the devil every day of our life. But the key to winning that battle is not fighting harder. The key to winning that battle is surrendering. And I know that sounds crazy. You say, preacher, nobody ever won a battle by surrendering. But listen, we're not talking about physical battles. We're talking about spiritual battles. And spiritual battles are fought in a different way than literal physical battles are. And the best way you and I can ever win the fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil is surrender. Not to the world, the flesh, or the devil, but to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, not only does he take up the fight in us, he takes up the fight for us. And we can win the battle and live our lives in verse 22 and verse 23 by simply surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Did you try that this week? Did you try it? I challenged you last Sunday night, last Sunday evening to get up uh, on Monday morning and just surrender your life to the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, he begins to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. By the way, this, is, this fruit that I'm talking about in verse 22 and 23, it's not something that is produced uh, by us. It is something that is produced in us. Listen, I can't love I can't have joy. I can't have peace. Not on my own. But as I surrender myself and yield myself to the Holy Spirit, then he produces that fruit in me. Praise the Lord. Would you like to live your life in verse 22 and verse 23? Well, let's delve into this list tonight. And if you look at verse 22, but the fruit. Now, notice the word fruit is singular. It is not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what we're talking about is not like apples and oranges and bananas and strawberries. What we're talking about is more like a cluster of grapes. All right? It's one stem, one vine, but it has many grapes on it, many flavors of that one fruit. And the very first fruit that we come to in verse number 22 is the fruit of love. Now, I don't think it is accidental I don't think it is incidental. I don't think it is coincidental that we start off with the, 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 the Holy Spirit producing love within us because I think it is fundamental because all the other fruits that we're going to read about, the characteristics we're going to read about in verse 22 and 23, all of them find their, so, their, their roots in the soil of love. Love. I had a fancy outline tonight. You can ask Jonathan. I turned it into him. 
Thursday or something last week. I had a great outline. I thought I did. Fancy, you know, I start my letters, all the words, all the same letter, or I rhyme them, or, or uh, whatever. I try to really soup up the outlines. I called him this afternoon, or I texted him this afternoon. I said, junk all that. I said, I want to speak to our church from my heart tonight. So I got three simple points. It don't start with the same letter. I don't even care about that. But I do wish you could get my heart tonight on the subject of love. I got three things to say about love in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. The first thing the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our life is love. I got three things to say about it. Number one, I want to say this about it. Boy, we need to love Jesus. We need to love Jesus. Now, if you go through your Bible, the Old Testament, you'll find out that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613 commandments. Those 613 commandments were then broken down. They were condensed down into 10 commandments. We know those 10 commandments. But then over in the New Testament, Jesus took those 10 commandments that had been condensed from the 613 commandments and only made two commandments out of them. And here's what he said about it. He said this. This man come to him and he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Would you leave that question up there for just a minute? If somebody comes up to you at the water cooler in the morning and says, in your personal opinion, what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible? What would you say? Would you say that one about, hey, don't commit adultery? Man, I'll tell you what, that's got to be the great. What about this one? Thou shalt not steal. That's got to be. No, what about this one? Thou shalt not kill. I mean, man, that has got to be the top commandment. Jesus was asked the question. And they said, now, Jesus, out of all the commandments, 613 condensed into 10, the 10, uh, out of all of that, in your personal estimation, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Here's what Jesus said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is teaching us, man, we need to love God. Love the Lord. You know, I think really what he's saying is the greatest thing that any of us can ever do with our life is to love God. Our love for God, our love for Jesus ought to take priority over everything else in our lives. Absolutely nothing ought to rival our love for God. The Lord Jesus said in that verse right there that we're not to love the Lord thy God with half thine heart. Did he say that? Half thine heart, half thy soul, half thy mind. You know, he didn't even say this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with three quarters of thine heart and three quarters of thy soul and three quarters. Of, he, he, he didn't even say that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with 99.5% of the love of your heart. You ought to love Jesus. He didn't even say that. You know what he said? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine Heart. We ought to love God with 100% of our heart because he certainly loved us 100% with his. It was no half-hearted love that led Jesus up Calvary's hill. No, sir. Jesus was motivated by love. I think what the Lord is saying in that one verse right there is this, that we ought to have a passionate, burning love, a red-hot love for the Savior. We ought to love him 
passionately. I mean, we ought to love him fervently. We ought to love him with every fiber of our being. We ought to love God. I have several books in my office by a man by the name of Vance Habner. Vance Habner was an old-timey, witty Southern Baptist preacher. I mean, man, he would, back, he would be fundamentally independent today if he was still alive. He was an old-fashioned Southern Baptist preacher. But in one of those books that he wrote, he made this statement right here. I want to read it to you. He said, the greatest need of the church today is to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Amen. You know, too many times I think you and I mistake labor for love. Can I say that one more time? I think too often we mistake labor for love. I think we think because we're doing this for Jesus. Well, I sing in the choir or I teach Sunday school or I preach messages or, or I run a bus route or whatever. We think because we labor that that means we automatically love the Lord. And yet we read in our New Testament about one of the best churches in the New Testament. I'm talking about the church of Ephesus. Oh, what a good church. There's a book in our Bible written to the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus. One of the greatest churches in all of our Bible. You talk about a busy church. They were as busy as bees for the Lord. They labored for him. They were doctrinally straight. They dotted every I. They crossed every T. They were separated. They were strict. They couldn't even bear those who said they were apostles and they were not. I mean, you talk about a straight church, gun barrel straight, on fire for the Lord as far as laboring for God, doing everything they were supposed to do. And yet Jesus looked at that church and he said this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You know something? It is entirely possible to labor for the Lord and not love the Lord. It is entirely possible for us to labor for the Lord, but not love the Lord. Can I tell you this? Labor is never a substitute for love. Labor is no substitute for love. You see, the love that God has for you and for me is never called into question. God simply loves us. In fact, can I show you what the Bible said about the love of God? Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord uh, hath appeared of old unto me. Yea, I've loved thee. Here's what God said. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know what that tells me? God will never call a time out on loving me. Aren't you glad for that? God won't take a full time out. God won't even take a 30-second time out. There are no TV commercials in God's love. God will always, always love me. His love for me is never called into question, but I think he's constantly questioning my love for him. I think the Lord is constantly saying to me what he said to Peter years ago when he said this, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? I don't ever have to question the fact, does God really love me? Oh, I know burdens come, troubles come, problems come, but I never have to just stop wondering, you know, does God really even love me? But I promise you, I promise you that probably God sets up in heaven all the time and says, does, does Tim really love me? Does he really love me? Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Can I stop and say this? Boy, we ought to spend some time loving on Jesus.
You know, I try to tell him every day that I love him, but sometimes I think I tell him out of habit more than just out of, out of just really loving him. How much do you love the Lord? I mean, how much are you, how much are you loving him? When's the last time you told him that you loved him? Because we ought to, number one, we need to love Jesus. Now let's go a step further. Not only do we need to love Jesus, we need to love each other. Because Jesus went on. Now remember, he's breaking 613 into 10 and 10 into 2. And then he said this, and the second is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy fellow church member. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Now let me tell you something. If your love for God is right, then our love for each other will be right. Let me say it like this. If our love, if our love vertically is right, then our love horizontally will be light. But if this ain't right, this ain't ever going to be right. We need to get back to loving God. You know why? So we can love each other. You know, when you love God, you can't help but love others. In fact, someone has once said this, when we love God the most, we'll love others the best. I'm just talking about loving each other. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking right now, but preacher, you don't get it. There, I just can't love that person. There is just no way. They, they rub me, they rub me the wrong way. Or maybe you say this, you know, they've hurt me. Well, they've said some things that really hurt me. Or maybe they said something bad about somebody that you love. And you're saying, now, preacher, listen, I just, I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like I can love them. Let me tell you something about love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And you say, preacher, you've got to be kidding me. You're telling me love's not a feeling? No, I ain't telling you that. The Bible tells us that. Let me tell you something about feelings. You can't command feelings. I can't come up to you and command you to love me. I mean, I, I can't command feelings. If you, go, if you get up sick in the morning, you go to the doctor, and you sit down with the doctor, and you say, man, my stomach hurts, my head hurts, my toe hurts, man, I, my ear hurts, everything hurts. He says, I command you to feel better. Are you going to feel better? Of course not. You cannot command feelings, but you can command choices. And when the Bible says that we ought to love one another, I think what it's simply telling us is this. It's a choice. We can either choose to love or we can choose not to love. It's not a matter of feelings. It's not a matter of whether you like somebody or you don't like somebody. It's not a matter if they rub you the wrong way or if they rub you the right way. It's not a matter if they've hurt you or they've hurt somebody that you love. The truth of the matter is when it comes to love, look right here. It is not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. Y'all leave that up there for just a second. When it comes to loving others, it's not a matter of can you or can't you. It is a matter of will you or won't you. 
Let's just be honest. Instead of, uh, you know, saying, I can't love them, what we probably ought to say is, man, I don't want to love them. Because love is a choice. But when you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, guess what he's going to produce in our life? The very first thing he's going to produce in our life is the ability to love God and to love others. You know, our English language, we have a very lazy language. English is a lazy language because we have one word for love, and that's love. So here's what we say, man, I love banana pudding. I might say, man, I love Jeeps. And then I turn right around and say, I love my wife. Now, wait a minute. Do I love banana pudding as good as I love my wife? Or do I love my wife like I love my Jeep? I mean, we have a lazy language. But the Greek language was not like that. They had different words that showed the different degrees of love. For instance, there was the word eros. That's a Greek word for love. And we get our English word erotic love. That's the kind of love that when your wife walks towards you, your heart starts going when you see that. And there's nothing wrong with that love inside the bonds of marriage. Can I have an amen? Let me tell you something. When you step outside of the bed of marriage to try to find that eros, you, you done trampled over God's word and God's will for your life, and you're going to get in error. You're going to mess up. Eros is God's love, the kind of love that a man feels for a woman inside of the bonds of marriage. Amen and amen. There's a second word. That's the word phileo. We get our English word Philadelphia. That's brotherly love. Brotherly love. That's a strong like for somebody. But then there's that word agape. And the word agape is that God-like kind of word. And if you got your strong concordance out and you looked at verse 22 and looked up the word love, I promise you, but you check it out if you want to, be sure I'm telling you right. That word love, the kind of love that God wants to produce on the inside of you and me is that God-like, that agape kind of love for each other. I know it's quiet in here. But you know something? We ought to love each other. I mean, after all, we're going to spend eternity with each other forever and forever and ever. You say, preacher, I just don't know if I can love him. I really don't. I just don't know. After all this has happened, I don't know. No, you're right. You can't. But when you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, he can. He can produce the kind of love that we need in our hearts for each other. Amen and amen. So we need to love Jesus. Number two, we need to love each other. And then last of all, watch this. We need to love sinners. Love sinners. You know, Jesus talked about in that same passage about loving yourself. But you know something? What are we? Well, we're just sinners in the sight of God. And you know something? We need to get back to loving sinners. Could I ask you a question? When is the last time you witness to somebody. When's the last time you had a burden that got you out of the bed in the middle of the night and caused you to go in the living room and get on the couch and shed tears over a lost soul? I get it. I know COVID has shut everything down. I get all that. But don't you think it's time we get back now to focusing on reaching sinners? Do you really love the lost? I mean, I mean with that godlike kind of love, do you and I, do we love sinners with the kind of love that God loves sinners with? I think probably, if we'd be honest, 
one of the last things that's on our mind anymore is witnessing to others, trying to get people saved. It's not even on our radar screen. You know what we're trying to do? And I get it. We're trying to survive right now. But I'm telling you, friend, if we don't reach them, there's no plan B. God's not going to drop some angels down here and say, okay, you go tell this one and you go to that street and you get on this street and you go tell them. I mean, it, there's no plan B. If we don't do it, nobody else will. Do we really, do we really love sinners? Brother David, come up here for just a second. Brother David Aldridge, where's Brother David at? Brother David, come up here for just a minute. I want him to uh, read you a poem that he read in the bus, meet, uh, bus meeting on yesterday. And uh, just, Brother David, just read the poem. And I want you to listen as he reads. This was written by a bus worker who was thinking about their bus children, the people that rode their church bus. And I'm going to get him to read that for us at this time. The title of this is Through the Eyes of a Bus Worker. Some see a fight push and a shove. I see a desperate cry for love. Some see a brat. He acts so bad. I see a boy who's never met his dad. Some see the messes and the trouble they give. I see the poverty in the place where they live. Some see a teenager who won't dress right. I see a girl who has to protect herself at night. Some see a smart mouth, disrespectful and loud. I see a kid made fun of by a crowd. Some see a woman who comes just to use. I see a lady by a drunken husband abused. Some see a drug addict withered and worn. I see a soul the Lord wants to reborn. Some see the dirt, the filth, and the rot. I see a kid who without Jesus doesn't have a shot. Some see a crook whom you don't trust much. I see a man who needs the Lord's touch. Some see a bunch of, bunch of heathen who holler and yell. I see kids with parents in jail. Some see a teenager who gives a lot of flack. I see a boy whose whole family is on crack. Broken homes, broken lives, those without hope. They need compassion and God's grace to cope. For every little girl who lies awake hungry at night, Lord, help me to keep in the fight. For every scared boy who sees his mommy get hit, Lord, help me to be faithful and never quit. For every mommy who needs a new start, Lord, help me to show her how to ask you into her heart. For every man on whom sin has its hold, Lord, help me to make sure the old story is told. The Lord to me his mercy has shown. Lord, help me to reach out so others may make heaven their home. May others judge gently when these folks they see. If not for God's grace, that's where all of us would be. Boy, we ought to love sinners. We ought to love these little old bus kids that come in here and not look down at them, be rude and abrasive to them. We ought to love, forgive me, but I'm just going to say we ought to love these black folks that ride our church buses in here. I mean, I know they probably, a lot of them, a lot of other people that come in to our church, they don't dress like we think they ought to dress. 
You know, they may don't smell like we think they ought to smell, but there's somebody for whom Jesus died. And we better get back to the place that we love sinners. Listen, I told you this before, but God can do anything that God wants to do, and I believe that. But God can't save somebody where everybody is already saved. God can't save somebody. What's he going to do? Resave us? We got to get back in the habit of going after him again and love sinners like God loves sinners. Love the bus kids. Man, some of us could get involved in the bus ministry. Some of y'all got your CDLs and, and, and Brother David calls you to drive and but it's always a no. Let me say this. If we love God and we love each other, we can't help but love sinners. And can I just tell you what I've just given you? The formula for revival. If we will love God and we'll love each other and we love sinners, there is no telling what God could do right here in Woodland Baptist Church. Those three things. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Why don't we yield ourselves, surrender to the Holy Spirit, and ask Him to help us to love Him, love each other, and love sinners like we're supposed to. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I want to ask you tonight to speak to hearts.